Chapter 14 of Italian Life and Legends by Anna Cora Mowat Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 14 The Beautiful Horror A Florentine Legend. Everyone knows that Florence, the gem of the Italian cities, is encompassed for miles by grand old villas, dotting lovely valleys and cresting undulating hills. Linked to many of these ancient villas are strange legends, histories of wrong and revenge, of shame and grief, of heroic endurance and cruel martyrdom. One of the most startling of these narratives is associated with the villa Saviati, on the road to the picturesque hill of Fisole, a little beyond the villa of Caraghi, where Lorenzo the Magnificent lived and died. The superb villa Saviati is now owned by singers of worldwide fame, and as one gazes upon the handsome portraits that adorn its walls, it is from the noble features of the Italian lyric queen that the eye turns to rest upon a face full of bitterness and woe a face that has the look of one unloved yet capable of love of desperate deeds through that love the portrait of the lady veronica a daughter of the royal house of massa the wife of jacopo salviati duke of san giuliano to whom the villa belonged towards the middle of the seventeenth century there was a grand festival celebrated at this magnificent villa the last ever given there by a salviati the host then a dashing cavalier in the first flush of reckless manhood was a few years younger than his wife she could hardly have been thirty but the disparity of their ages was rendered striking by the gay insouciance of jacopo salviati's handsome furrowless face and the stern intensity the wistful eagerness of gaze that was wearing sharp lines in the countenance of the lady veronica it was during the feast that one of the spies whom she employed to watch her husband's movements delivered to her a small package the evening was far advanced some of the guests had departed others lingered upon the threshold to enjoy the glorious panorama revealed by the rising moon the duchess could hardly conceal her impatience to have them gone she started when the horse of the duke was brought to the door and her knitted brow grew visibly darker salviati with smiling suavity made his apologies to the remaining guest the grand duke his master required his immediate presence the grand duke has need of you at this hour the duchess whispered or rather hissed out between her closed teeth why not answered salviati aloud all my hours are at his command he bowed courteously sprang into the saddle and waved his hand in graceful adieu as he rode rapidly from the door even while he was speaking the lady's fingers clutched the little package she had hidden in her pocket as she forced her white lips into a sort of a smile and strung unmeaning words together in idle talk she could not relax her hold 
The last guest turned to depart. Then, without a second's pause, the casket tightly grasped in her trembling hands, she flew up the broad stair to her sumptuous chamber. A child, sleeping beneath a canopy of cerulean silk, was wakened by her sudden entrance, and lifted up its little face, flushed with the roses of sleep, and watched her with great wandering blue eyes, like his father's. She pressed the spring of the Morocco case, and shivering, gasping, gazed wildly upon something within. It was a countenance of childlike loveliness, shining out from amid the wealth of loosened tresses, as though a cloud which the sunset had turned to gold. The eyes were blue, and had that pleadingly pathetic expression, which told they had been early familiar with sorrow, though they seemed formed only to brighten with joy. And there was the long, slender throat, slender to a fault, which she had so often heard Salviati admire as an especial charm in womanhood. The Duchess raised her eyes. A mirror opposite reflected her own dark, pain-distorted face, her sunken, lusterless eyes, her thick, ungraceful throat. With a look of passionate despair and a fierce cry, she flung down the miniature and stamped upon it, and tossed her arms above her head, and wheeling round as she staggered towards the bed, suddenly faced the amazed boy. "'Oh, Mamma, you frighten me!' he cried. "'Oh, don't! How ugly you look, Mamma!" The word ugly had scarcely passed the child's lips when she struck him upon the mouth ugly ugly do i not know it do i not see it must even my own child tell me so then she wept violently and caught the boy in her arms and caressed him with a sort of savage remorse until his sobs were hushed in the street called via della palastri Near the church San Ambrosio stands the house of Guistino Canacci, one of the most wealthy, most highly honored of Florentine merchants. It is past midnight, but Caterina Canacci sits in the great salon, in an attitude of one listening for distant sounds, sits with an air of expectation. She goes to the window and looks out and listens. The moon has disappeared. The heavens have grown dark, threatening one of those sudden storms so common in Italy. She moves to a door at the further end of the apartment and bends her head to catch a sound from within, the low, regular breathing of one asleep. She softly opens the door, and though the taper burns faintly, it gives light enough to show the benignant features of an old man the white locks lying upon the pillow, the mild lips parted with a half-smile, almost the smile of a sleeping child. It speaks of such absence of care, such sweetness of repose. Caterina closes the door noiselessly, for she has heard a light signal, and flits across the spacious apartment, down the great stair, cautiously lifts the chains of the hall door, and draws back the bolt. A cavalier enters, and is joyfully greeted. Jacopo, how bravely you are tired tonight, 
she exclaims with childlike admiration, exclaiming at his gala dress. Come in, step softly. He has only just fallen asleep. Chains and bolts are replaced, and the lovers pass up the stair and enter the apartment Katerina has just quitted. They sit side by side, and while the visitor twines his fingers in and out among the loosened tangles of those soft, bright locks, Katerina prattles to him. Some chance word has touched a chord that opened her heart, and she is telling of grinding poverty, of hard struggles, of the goodness of Gustino Canacci, who came one day to bid her wear his name with a ring, that he might save her and her kindred from further misery. She loved him for his goodness, she said, and then sorrowfully added, was she not wrong to permit this gay cavalier to visit her so often, and very wrong to have given him her word to hide those visits from her husband? Besides, how little she knew of the cavalier himself, nothing but that his name was Jacopo, and that he looked the noblest gentleman she ever saw. And how had he come to notice her, or she him? only from seeing each other day after day as she sat at the casement. She had not meant to drop the flower, indeed she had not, which had fell from her hands one day, and which he had picked up and gained admission to return, though, after all, he did not give it back, as he well knew. How strange that, from that hour to this, he had come so often, and yet she knew nothing about him except that he loves you, replied he fervently. Katerina put a rosy finger to his lips, and with the other hand, pointing to the chamber where the old man slept, answered reproachfully, I am his, you know, and you promise never to utter words which I could not hear without a blush or remember without remorse. The sky had grown darker and darker, and at that moment a sudden peal of thunder shook the old mansion to its base. Then came the quick flash and the crashing peal, followed by another and another as violent. In the silence that ensued, a feeble voice could be heard calling, Katerina, Katerina, and there was a sound as of one rising from bed and groping about the chamber with feeble steps. Katerina started up, trembling helplessly, but the cavalier, with presence of mind, extinguished the lamp. Katerina! Katerina! And the advancing steps were still heard. A vivid flash, for a second, flooded the whole room as with daylight, and they saw the old man standing, like a specter, in the doorway as plainly as he saw Katerina, pale and cowering, and the handsome cavalier bending over her. Katerina! Katerina! almost wailed the old man. I did not think thou couldst be false to me. Why hast thou done this? The tone was one of agony, but not of reproach. Another flash revealed the three again. The old man staggered forward, with one arm outstretched towards the cavalier, as though trying to speak. All was dark again, but they heard a heavy fall and the next flash showed Gustino Canacci prostrate on the ground. Caterina darted towards him and fell on her knees. Signor, signor, she sobbed out, I have erred. 
but i have not wronged thee as thou thinkest i am not fault pity me pity me the duke had lighted the lamp he had raised the old man in his strong arms and bore him to the bed canacci was not insensible he looked inquiringly not angrily into the stranger's face and muttered feebly who art thou jacopo did not answer the dying eyes turned to the weeping caterina poor lamb if i took thee to my fold it was because i knew it would not be for long it was only to shelter thee and oh how ill i have repaid thee but only in hiding that jacopo came to see me and that 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 he loved thee replied the old man and his lips tried impotently to form themselves into a smile so be it i only ask that he will guard thee tenderly i shall not make him wait he laid the soft little hand which was clasping his in that of the cavalier who took it in silence a sharp pang choked his utterance but if he could have spoken was it possible to tell the old man that he could not wear this jewel upon his breast was it possible to slay katarina with that knowledge in such an hour some good angel prompted him to do so even then and save her and himself but the opportunity was soon lost katarina was bending over a corpse wildly lamenting and accusing herself of having caused the death of her benefactor the events just narrated took place early in november upon new year's eve a heavy fall of snow very rare in florence kept almost all italians within doors for they ever shrink from cold the snow rendered noiseless the steps of those who ventured forth and deadened even the sound of carriage wheels two men shrouded in long cloaks were hiding in the via del pelastri near the house where gustino canacci had dwelt once or twice they stole from their place of concealment as though to reconnoitre and looked down the street if a stray foot passenger chanced to get a glimpse of them he quickened his pace with a shudder the trade of the assassin was well known in florence but no one dared to meddle with another seeking for vengeance a carriage approached noiselessly the man who was playing the part of coachman was evidently unused to such an office he drew up awkwardly a few paces beyond canacci's former residence a lady wearing a black mask looked out for a moment when the carriage stopped then spoke in a whisper to one within there was no answer but a man put forth his hand opened the door leapt out and walked boldly up to the dark angle where the two bravos were hiding this man was in no way disguised except by the fumes of liquor which usually enveloped him and brought to the surface the most brutish part of his nature almost any passer-by would have recognized him as masso a low lawless fellow the only son of gustino canacci by a first marriage he had never looked with favourable eyes upon pretty caterina but when he learned the bulk of his father's large fortune was left to her 
only an Italian can conceive of how he hated her, and how open he was to overtures from those who shared that hatred. Maso exchanged a few words with the men, and then returned to the carriage. Signora, he has not gone yet. The lady did not reply, but signaled to him to resume his seat in the coach. They had not waited long when the door of Guistino Canacci's house opened, and the lamp, carried by a beautiful girl attired in mourning, fell upon the radiant face of a cavalier who was carefully enveloping himself in his cloak. As he passed the threshold, he turned and tenderly kissed her forehead. The lady, who was leaning far out of the carriage, drew back and clenched her hands until the nails pierced the flesh and blood marked the pressure of every finger. The cavalier went rapidly on his way. As soon as he was out of sight, Maso again descended from the carriage and knocked at the door. Caterina had not had time to return to her apartment, for it was her voice that answered, without opening, Who is there? It is I, Maso. Open the door. The order was at once obeyed. Come to the salon. I have something to say to you, said Maso. Caterina, bearing the light, led the way to the salon, having first carefully closed the door. When they entered the room, Maso said, Wait for me here a moment. I have forgotten something. Caterina nodded a smiling assent and seated herself. Maso returned to the street, handed the lady from the carriage, signaled the two bravos. All four entered the house, and the door was closed and barred. Maso led the way to the apartment where Caterina sat. The masked lady entered first. The three men grouped themselves near the entrance, but she strode up to Caterina. What is this? Who are you, madam? inquired Caterina, somewhat startled, though not evincing any great alarm. The lady removed her mask. Do you not know me? No, truly, signora answered Caterina, but her voice trembled, for the satanic expression of the woman who stood before her might well have terrified a braver heart. I am the wife of Duke San Giuliano. Caterina did not change color. She simply bowed, and her blue eyes looked the inquiry she was too courteous to speak. Who left this house a few moments ago? asked the Duchess. Caterina did not answer. It is your lover, shrieked the Duchess. Caterina dropped her eyelids silently, but without shame. She had no thought of denying the fact. The Duke San Giuliano, added the Duchess fiercely. Then Caterina gave a violent start, and her face blanched with terror as she exclaimed, No, no, oh no! I tell you, yes, I saw him. My eyes are not false as he is, as you are. Caterina's limbs refused to support her, and she dropped, half kneeling, half crouching, before the Duchess. You mistook, you mistook. Jacopo, who left me but now, has no wife. 
when i put off these weeds he will have one he has told me a hundred times that he never loved any woman but me it was the truth i knew you have mistaken him for someone else then the lady's fury burst all bounds she sprang towards the girl and seizing her by the throat that beautiful throat which her husband must have thought of when he so lauded slender throats plunged her dagger in katarina's breast exclaiming two wives he cannot have thus i rid him of the one whom he dared to say he loved he has only one left to love the wound was not mortal and katarina with the strength of fear struggled to her feet and freed herself from the grasp of the frantic woman but she encountered the bravos maso went forth to see that her cries had not been heard the men soon followed him after a long interval the door opened again and the lady appeared she carried in her hand a small black bag entered the carriage laid the bag on her knees and held it there as she was driven back to the villa salviati the duke woke early the next morning and summoned his valets it was new year's day and all the world would throng the court to pay homage to the sovereign salviati bade his valets bring forth his most costly attire he was merry that morning and liberal because he was merry he flung to each a large piece of gold to celebrate capo de año new year for it was a year which promised much happiness he said he was humming a popular love song when someone tapped lightly on the door come in a servant entered bearing a blue velvet basket embroidered with seed pearls and apparently well filled with fine cambric the cavaliers of those days delighted in fine linen and rich laces my lady sends to my lord duke this new year's gift thank your lady and say i wish her a happy new year's this is for thee he tossed the attendant a piece of gold the laces were very costly upon the top lay a superb handkerchief then came a rich collar and cuffs he was trying to lift out the next article but the lace must have caught it appeared to be fastened he plunged his hand into the basket to loosen it his fingers came in contact with something very soft and silky the touch though familiar thrilled him like an electric shock he drew out his hand but tangled about the fingers was a long long tresses of burnished gold terror-stricken he tore away the cambric which covered something in the bottom of the basket oh beautiful horror that face the delicate features white as wax the sightless glassy blue eyes opened wide the head of his beautiful katarina lay before him with the savage roar of a wild beast salviati rushed from the apartment to that of his wife the duchess was gone she had only returned home the night previous prepared that basket left it in charge of a servant and fled the false husband and the revengeful wife never met again 
Salviati, after wandering about the world, resting nowhere, and finding no peace, haunted by that beautiful horror, died in his prime. Veronica took up her residence at her father's court. Often and often she prayed for pardon, but Salviati was deaf to her supplications. Her life dragged on to extreme old age. She passed her days in acts of charity, which brought comfort to other hearts, but hers was ever more comfortless. End of chapter 14